Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? Man, does this smell good. Wolfen down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Luke. Hey boys. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. Alright, it is time for all of today's top stories in one place. Wolf and down your lunch. Aaron Maloney is here. This could get interesting today since you just angered her, Aaron. I don't know why he, you guys think he angered me. But he was just on a, a path of angering everybody. Gotcha. Looks An angry line, Thursday. Line. Typically, Wolf has like angry Fridays. Yes. Friday at one o'clock, he just starts turning on everybody. Yes. So maybe this yes. is your angry hour. And if he turns on people on the other days, he just calls it an angry Friday. This on is Tuesday. very me that the be angry part is people being angry at me and yes. not me actually being angry. That's no, a very that, me thing. That, that is happen. true. Angry yeah. at you, Friday. Well, the Phoenix Suns defense offered little resistance in a 127-102 loss to the Wizards last night. Here's Suns head coach Monty Williams after the game. This is always a tough back-to-back. If you lose an hour and then you land at Dallas, you know, you're probably going to get in your room at 3, 30, 4 o'clock. And so our guys, you know, they, they probably felt it tonight. But look, they beat us. They had a back-to-back. They were missing deal. Um, they attacked us. Uh, the closeouts tonight weren't great. And um, they were in that third quarter and beginning of the fourth, it was just one closeout after another, and they were getting to the rim. So that that probably hurt us more than anything. Um, but to your point, yeah, it's a tough back-to-back, but a lot of teams deal with that. What do you think went wrong last night? Well, I mean, the defense giving up 127 points to the Wizards, allowing Kuzma had nine points in the first three and a half minutes, and Rui Hachimura had 28. I lost a 30. Oh, he had 30. Uh, clearly, I turned it off for the final minute out of disgust. Uh, yeah, the defense. I mean, th- there was a moment in the second half of that game where I was like, I can't believe I'm watching the Phoenix Suns struggle just to get back in this game with the Wizards. And yes, they are missing basically five of their top eight rotation guys. So maybe I should believe it, but it's still not a feeling I've had very often in the last couple of years. First quarter specifically, they were down 36-21. That's a bad defensive quarter. That's a bad offensive quarter. Really bad, in fact. This team, with the amount of bodies they're missing, they can't afford to be dug in a hole like that that early in the game. There you go. Yesterday, we learned that Devin Booker has sustained a left groin strain and would be re-evaluated in four weeks. So could that force the Suns to make a move? Here's their GM, James Jones, on Burns and Gambo yesterday. No, I mean, I don't think it didn't, it, from day one, it hasn't been uh, dictated by the players. It's been dictated by the opportunities. And, and so like my focus on continuing to think about how I can build the team for the long term to finish strong, that that's at an all-time high. Um, so this doesn't change that. Um, internally, it, it puts pressure on how we use what we currently have. But it's not, you know, it's not, it's not one of those things that that forces our hands and, and has us out there scrambling to do whatever we can possibly do, uh, because you know it's about what's, what we can do that's going to make us the best team at the end of the season. So our Sanderson Ford poll question is up now at ArizonaSports.com, and it asks. With the Devin Booker injury news, do the Suns have time to wait until the trade deadline to make a deal? So your choice is, yes, remain patient for the best deal, or no, the roster needs help right now. It's a really well-written poll question. Did you I do it? That one. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It just sounds really well-constructed. It's really thoughtful. Oh, I take no. some time to think about my answer. I'm sure the answers vary as well, like a good poll question does. It's really good. I, I, see, I would blend the answers into a third answer. No, I'm kidding. Um, look, they need... 
they don't need help like today because they're going to drop too far in the standings in the next three or four weeks. But I think we're seeing firsthand now. I think I think we have enough evidence that they need pieces. So the sense of urgency of like if you were going to kind of wait around and try and make a deal on February 8th, I don't think you can do that. But you don't need to make it on December 29th. The vision to me is getting a scoring wing in who is going to be one of your two or three leading scorers. That is where we talk about Kyle Kuzma, and then on the high, high, high end, that's where we, we've been hearing about Kevin Durant. Suns fans want to see what Pascal Siakam and what's going on there in Toronto. We're going to talk about more about him tomorrow. But I think there's like a lower scale move for a guard or another offensive presence kind of off the bench more so. I, that is what I see, and I think that you need the guard now, and you can still wait on the bigger move. But if they have just one big move in mind, maybe that's why this is taking so long. But again, we mentioned it last segment, Jay Crowder expiring contract, Dario Sarge expiring contract. You just lose them for nothing in a couple of months here if you don't trade them. So I think that there's two moves that they can make, not just one. And if it is two, I think they should do one of them right now, yeah. So 56% say yes, remain patient for the best deal. 44% say no, the roster needs help right now. So you gave, you know, those big... Big names. Kellen, what are some names of those guards off the bench that you think would be realistic for the Suns to add right now? Yeah, realistic is a really key word there because Eric Gordon is someone who really came to mind for me with this team for the last two years, but he's a guy that, that, that makes $20 million. If we're talking about making two moves, now I'm going to be talking about like six or seven guys on this team that are making $20 million at least. Like That's that's not realistic. That's not feasible for anyone involved. Also, this isn't fair, but we've been talking about Eric Gordon for so long, I don't even want him anymore. It has nothing to do with him. I just feel like for two and a half years we've been talking about Eric Gordon it won't even be exciting if they get him. I, I've I love Bogdan Bogdanovich. I, I've loved him since the Suns drafted him and he was playing at Fenerbahce. He's just exactly what they need in terms of confidence, scoring at guard. Atlanta's situation is kind of here and there. His name has come up a lot in rumors. I think that he's really good and I think he's exactly what they need. The way we've been talking about Landry Shamit is like the perfect, the, the idea of Landry Shamit. That's pretty much what Bogdanovich is. A little bit of a worse defender, but a, a far better offensive player right now, at least at this stage of their careers. You would prefer Bogdan Bogdanovich to Boyan Bogdanovich. Yes. Okay. Yes, I wouldn't mind either, to be clear. Okay. Any Bogdanovich would do, but you'd prefer a Bogdan over a Boyan. Okay. Colt McCoy has exited concussion protocols and is expected to start against the Falcons on Sunday. Here's McCoy talking to the media yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, listen, I told, uh, you know, we had some meetings yesterday. I just said, like, um, Kyler can't play, and you brought me here to play, and I, just, I want to finish the season strong. And, um, you know, that all hinged on getting cleared and going through the whole concussion protocol and um, the doctors did a fantastic job. You know, I was fighting to play last week, but they weren't having it. And, you know, I just really was diligent in that whole process and and, uh, I'm fully cleared and I'm excited about getting another opportunity this week. Have you guys seen enough from Trace McSorley to make you feel comfortable enough to go into next season? Because a lot can happen between now and week one with Kyler Murray. I know I think he's getting surgery this next upcoming week. But have you seen enough from Trace McSorley that you feel comfortable going into next year with Colt McCoy as your starter and Trace McSorley as your backup? No. Yeah, that, that's a really smart way of airing to frame it, I think, because the way that I've, I'm starting to think about it more and more with the way we've talked about it today and the way I've been thinking about it more over the last 48 hours as I've been talking about it more with you on on this subject, I think the idea is you want to bring in another veteran who's going to compete with Colt McCoy yeah. for the starting job week one. 
So we're not talking about someone who comes in who is a definitive upgrade necessarily, which was the tone of our subject in our, in our uh, discussion last. But now it's just I, you have to bring someone in who's going to push him for that job. And more importantly, if Colt McCoy gets hurt, you can't be in a situation where it is a third, fourth string kind of guy there. You need to bring in someone who could also be considered a legitimate backup. Well, we saw again this year, not the only time, but we saw this year. Okay, well, if we just can survive the first six weeks without DeAndre Hopkins, we'll be fine. Well, no, that <laughs> you don't want to start the season behind everybody else. It's like starting a race, but you're gonna you're gonna do a hundred yard dash, but you're gonna start ten yards behind everybody. So at least you're gonna need somebody to compete with Colt McCoy. And again, if Kyler's gonna miss two or three games, then I'm fine with Colt. If Kyler's gonna miss six or seven games, you're gonna be done if you don't have a starting quarterback. J.J. Watt announced his retirement following this season earlier this week, and yesterday he spoke to the media. So what will Watt do post-career? I have no idea. I really don't. I have no idea. Um, I got plenty of time to think about it, and I'm I'm looking forward to it, Uh, but I really don't know. So has he gotten calls from TV networks yet? I'm sure I have. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. uh, I haven't looked at my phone a whole lot the last couple of days. I'm trying, slowly trying to get back to all the text messages and the, and the nice nice heartfelt messages from everybody. Um, I'm going to definitely after the season, you know, read them again because it's emotional. I mean, there's a whole lot of people and, and I've realized how, how many people truly are special and care and I'm very thankful for all the great people. What do you think his post-NFL career holds? Do you see him in a broadcast booth, kind of like Greg Olson? Do you see him as kind of like a gronk, just out there doing movies, doing whatever? What do you guys see J.J. Watt doing? J.J. Watt doing movies would be interesting. I I think we're not going to hear a ton from him next year, but but he's going to be on TV at some point soon. And I I shouldn't say we're not going to hear a ton from him. We're still going to hear from him because he always does. The the cameras find J.J. Watt, and he's got two brothers in the league. I think it's going to be more of McAfee. McAfee's sort of a trailblazer with what he does, and it's going to be about using his personality in the right kind of spot, and I think that's just where it fits. So does it fit on NFL Countdown in like a studio role, or does it fit with him kind of going out there and being more of like an interviewer with players, spending a couple minutes with them each week? I don't know exactly what it'll be, but he has a personality for TV. It's just a matter of how he's utilized and maximized, because like you, when he talks, you pay attention. Like We're going to play the one of the best cuts of the year at, at total wattage at 115. Like It's He's a storyteller, and he's just a guy with a lot to say about the NFL, as he should. Yeah, I think it's going to be a personality role, not so much, not that these guys don't have personality, but not like a color analyst. I think it's going to be more of like a personality thing with uh, with J.J. Watt. And and I do, I, I'm interested to see how it ties in with his two brothers that are playing in Pittsburgh. I know Max in here yesterday was like, yeah, we kind of thought J.J. Watt would come to Pittsburgh next year and reunite. Um, but it sounds like he's staring, staying in Arizona, just not playing for Arizona. If you tease, we've got J.J. Watt up next talking about Aaron Donald's technique and what makes him so dominant and him talking to Aaron Donald like yeah I'm tuning in I could tease we have JJ Watt talking about the Suns and you would his five in. favorite cereals and I'm like yeah sure where are lucky charms I'm kind of interested in five, and I'm also hungry for cereal uh, all right we come back back to basketball oh look the replay of the game is on the TV right in front of us too so we can watch it during the break what exactly led to the Suns losing to Washington last night for the second time in like a week and a half that's next it's Wolf and Luke Kellen Olsen in for Wolf and Arizona Sports the local sports leader Wolf and Luke Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, welcome back. We've got uh, got the four TVs on, and one of them has Suns Wizards. So this is, I guess, apropos for this uh, this conversation right here. Cal, I know you wanted to say something. 
Yeah, uh, one of those other TVs had the breaking news that uh, Pele, just one of the uh, the AP's um, obituary here, Pele passed away uh, at 82. The news coming down in the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, they described him as a standard bearer for the beautiful game, was one of the most commanding sports figures of the last century, and uh, that couldn't be said any better. Just one of the most iconic sports figures we've had in, in the last 50, 75 years, really. And the standard bearer for the beautiful game is an important part to focus on with him because my relationship with soccer and why I love it so much as a sport just because of how pretty and aesthetically pleasing it is when you watch it. And when you go back that far into the game, 60, 70 years ago, the guy that was playing it differently than everyone else was him. I can't say enough like how big of a sports figure he is internationally and even nationally here in the United States for sure, but internationally, Brazilian, the king of Brazilian soccer. And uh, yeah, a massive loss for that community. Brazilian soccer being pretty good too. So if you're the king of that, that's not like the king yeah, of... The guy who did so much work as an ambassador for the game in Brazil as well. Um, he's going to be missed, man. Um, to the game last night, the Suns game last night, and, and I'm this is not hyperbole. Every time I look up, it's Rui Hashimura hitting a shot, and for some reason we're rewatching it, probably because I can't find the remote. Uh, I was telling you this during the break, and then I stopped because I just want to get your genuine reaction. Up until last night, my my biggest um, Rui Hachimura moment was when he was in the 2K tournament. Remember when everything shut down, and it was like, okay, the only sports we have are Devin Booker playing 2K. And Rui Hashimura playing 2K. <laughs> that was about it until until earlier this week when his name was linked to the Suns, and then obviously last night when he dropped. A lot 30. has changed since then, man. Devin Booker won that tournament. Everyone was making fun of him. He's like, that's the only thing he's ever going to win, and now he is quite the winner. It's right. Two years later, uh, the Suns lose this game to the Wizards last night. You were in here on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and it was before the Memphis game. And you said something that stood out to me. One thing in four hours. No, it's more than that. Uh, you said... At, Better have one than zero. At, at one point that uh, you would almost prefer that the games were just flipped, right? Like, get get Washington the first half of the back-to-back and then have Memphis as the second half because you're already beat up. You're going into Memphis. Memphis is tough. And you could almost write that off as just like a schedule loss in a way. They still got the split. I mean, they beat Memphis. They won the hard game and lost the easier game. So... I guess that's good-ish. Yeah, to to a certain extent. Washington played the night before, too. And I understand that the Suns are the traveling team. This situation puts more of a, a wear on them. But they gave up 36, 28, 29, 34 points by quarter. They fought and clawed back to this game to get within one. And when they were still only down two, there was an 18-4 to run from the Wizards over 335. And then all of a sudden, the Wizards were up 15 again. And the game was basically done from there it was basically done and that and that is the type of stuff where just the collective focus and the collective intensity over a full 48 minutes that is the really hard part about winning in any sport let alone basketball is just having that collective focus over the course of a game and right now the suns are improving in certain aspects over this december they're now five and ten in they're they're certainly improving as the month goes along but you can still see those cracks and those holes that, that are there just in terms of their overall 48-minute effort. They uh, they didn't lose because of this, and the free-throw discrepancy wasn't nearly as bad as it has been a few times this season, but it was 28 attempts for Washington, 16 for the Suns. Monty Williams even got teed up, which you don't typically see. Monty Williams getting teed up is like, I don't know, it's like something. We've got two hours to come up with the analogy, but it's just so unnatural. It's it's You know what it is, Kellen? It's the exact opposite of the time I was driving up Scottsdale Road and I was sitting in a red light and there was a Lamborghini next to me revving its engine and there was a cop in the lane next to him and he just 
took off 65 miles per hour right out of the red light when it, when it turned green and got pulled over three seconds later. It's the exact opposite of that. That was almost too on the nose to see that happen. Monty Williams getting a T is just, it's the strangest thing, but he talked about it afterwards. I just, I'm watching our guys get cracked and there's no foul. Like on that particular play, I thought DA got fouled and tore. And, you know, this, as a coach, I'm fighting for my guys and they understand that. And, um, I tried to bring attention to it all night. That's not the reason why we lost. We lost because Washington beat us. Yeah, and the game was basically over by that point anyway. But I, you and I have had this conversation. I think it was off the air, though. And I know I've had it with others on the air with K-Ray. Um, where is your concern level slash what can be done by the Suns? Not so much last night. Like, you'll see a team shoot 12 more free throws than the other team. But there have been games this season where the other team shoots, like, almost 30 more free throws than the Suns. When a team shoots 31 and they shoot five, where's your concern level that comes back to bite them in April or May? Uh, Hi, when you attack the basket and you get a foot in the paint, so there's this funny thing that kind of happens in basketball where Mikel Bridges, we didn't want him just to be a catch-and-shoot guy. We wanted to see him attack off the dribble. Now he's attacking off the dribble, and when you see him take two dribbles and then make the right pass, you're like, oh, great. Like that, That's a really good play. You need to have that down, and he has that down now. But when you watch it at this point, when he's got an open driving lane, there's a big waiting for him under the basket. It's an opportunity to draw contact, possibly go to the line, or you can still kind of finish over because you're Mikel Bridges and he shoots 75% at the rim anyway. He's taking two dribbles in there and then kicking out. That that's not what they need right now, and it's just a collective adjustment by this team in total. Especially we, if we want to discuss more about how Devin Booker being out, he's the only guy that gets to the line on this team at all. And Mikael Bridges needs to get to the line more. I know DeAndre Ayton certainly does. It's been a conversation around him for the last couple of years. But you look at other guys on the roster, and I was talking about this on Twitter with someone yesterday. I'm pretty sure that Damian Lee and Landry Shamit are the two best guys right now on the team that that aren't currently sidelined for more than a couple of weeks that are good about rim pressure and then seeking out contact when they get there. Points in the paint after the first quarter were 18-2 to two to the Wizards. There was a quote that kind of went viral last night from D'Angelo Russell talking about Zion Williamson and saying, I don't know how we guard him. He's playing football and we're playing basketball. Yes, D'Angelo, he's playing football. He's playing more physically than anyone else in the league right now. Giannis got that whistle in the finals two years ago because he's playing downhill, getting into contact, and drawing fouls around the rim more than anyone else in the league. And look, if the Suns' points in the paint weren't what they were, I would support this argument a little bit more. But they scored two points in the paint in the first quarter, too. Like, they're they're not not getting in there enough. And this is where you get into the semantics of, well, should refs call it evenly and like not just like look at certain teams and not give them foul calls because they don't see out contact as much? Of course not, but that's the reality of the situation we're in right now. And the, the Suns just don't put themselves in enough positions to get those foul calls. They should still get them when they're there. But you see DeAndre Ayton go up for a hook shot from eight feet out and Porzingis shoves him on the way up, gives him just a little left-hand shove, and DA's like, that's a shove, it's a foul. It is. It's also a foul when you barrel your shoulder into his chest and get up. And that's where Suns fans say, that's an offensive foul on DeAndre. And yes, it is because he doesn't do that enough to get that call. That's how the league works. Yeah. And I think what you said right there that that really is the most important thing is maybe that's not how it should be, but that's the reality. And and the reason I bring this up, again, it's not so much because of last night other than Monty got a T. And I think he did it for a very specific reason. He basically just said that he did right there. You can see the path right now because I, I really tend to stay or try to at least stay out of the group of, oh, the refs cost us the game last night. And, and I see it from Suns fans a lot. And you see it from a lot of, a lot of fan bases. Everybody thinks the, uh, the league is out to get their team. 
But man, some of these games have been such a big discrepancy that, again, I don't really care about a regular season game so much, but you can see the path where... You know, the Suns are in the playoffs and they win game one. And game two, there's a huge free throw discrepancy and they lose. And they are probably in that instance justifiably upset, but they get frustrated and the series starts to get away from them. And it's just if there's anything you can do to prevent that now in December and January, I hope they're working on it. Free throw rate is a metric that basically measures more accurately how often you get to the line, like free throws per game, there's pace, and there's all this kind of like how many shot attempts are at the line, all that kind of stuff. The Suns, two years ago, they were 29th in the league in free throw rate, second worst. Last year, they were 29th in free throw rate. This year, they are 28th. Hey, you're getting better. (laughs) So they are improving. You cannot expect to get calls consistently if you're not getting to the line enough, and and a lot of that comes down to you yourself creating that issue, and you cannot look at this roster in terms of their top five, seven guys and say anyone shows consistent intent to get to the line outside of Devin Booker. It's a part of the game. You know what happened in that Memphis game when John Murray tried to single-handedly bring his team back? You know what he did? He got downhill and he got he got downhill, he got to the foul line. He took like 15, 16 free throws in that game. That's what you're supposed to do. When, when shots aren't falling, when you need to get a run, you have to be aggressive getting to the rim and getting to the line. And that's what he does, and the Suns only have one guy who does that. You're not wrong, but you can see how that sounds like when you get out of college and you're trying to get a job, and they're like, well, you need experience to get this job. And you're like, okay, well, I need the job to get the experience. And they're like, well, talk to you later. That's sort of what that feels like. You need to get to the free throw line to get calls. Like, well, I, okay, easier said than done. But, no, you're right. I mean, the fact that they get out chanced at the free throw line fairly dramatically most nights is it just feels like it's another obstacle that you're going to have to overcome and again it goes back to like are you running a hundred yard dash but you're running 104 yards and everybody else is running a hundred or a hundred meter or whatever it is the metric system whatever it is you don't want to be running longer than everybody else one more thing on this before we go to break that perfectly encapsulates the conversation we're having. When we were looking at off-season trade targets for the Suns, someone that came up was Boyan Bogdanovich. I'm mentioning Giannis, I'm mentioning Ja Moran, I'm mentioning Zion Williamson, guys that clearly get to the free throw line. Boyan Bogdanovich would far and away lead to be second on the team in free throw attempts per game. He's not a guy that comes to mind as a guy who gets to the line. This is Boyan, not Bogdan. Boyan. You can't be switching Bogdanovich. A guy who like you this. primarily know as a shooter, a mid-range maestro, that kind of stuff. He gets to the line three and a half times a game over his career, and this year is taking over five a game at the line. Like This is what most guys in the league who score do, and the Suns just have a collection of them outside of Devin Booker who don't really do that as much. And it's it's not just these big superstar names who get to the line. A lot of guys across the league do it, and the Suns just aren't that great at it. It's not part of their identity. Boyan's averaging... I thought He's, he's averaging about 21 points a game. I really thought I was going to look it up and he was going to be averaging about 24. Here's the other thing that encapsulates what we were just talking about. We've got the news on one TV and we've got the Suns on the other TV. On the news TV, it said lost ring found, and I looked over and saw Chris Paul. So is that some sort of sign going forward? That was messed up, man. No, maybe maybe it's like a sign of things to come. Oh, lost but found? Yes, it oh. said found. It didn't say lost ring. <laughs> End of uh, story. It said lost ring found. It, that says where my head is at about this team, but that my mind automatically went there. Huh? Text us your thoughts to the Findle text line at 620-620 right now. We come back. Hard Knocks latest episode dropped last night. What did we learn about this team going forward? Buda Baker and J.J. Watt in particular. That's next. It's Wolf and Luke. Kellen Olson in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Welcome back to the show. Kellen Olson in for Wolf today. 
We did Hard Knocks with Hard Rock earlier in the show, but we never get to all the audio that Kellen, so I'm just going to start firing stuff off. You can react to it, okay? That is your right as a red-blooded American in the chair that you are in right now. What if I was in that chair over there? No. You know there's a chair in here that just, like, leans, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why, and there's no explanation, but if you sit in it, you are, like, at a 45-degree angle, and people just accept it. What was the audio again? <laughs> All right. Here's, uh, here's uh, let's see, let's go with Cliff Kingsbury telling the quarterback room that Trace McSorley will be getting the start last week. This is not for this week, obviously. That's had a great focus, right? We have questions. We'll talk to her, get it talked out, slower tempo. Um, let's see great on progressions, footwork, all that. Right? Everything's clean today. Trace, you're going to start. And uh, at the end of the week, Trace, stuff you don't like, we'll get out. But just enjoy this week. You know, you get to play the best ever on Sunday night, Christmas. So enjoy the whole process. That we got a great plan. Uh, good run plan. All right, so let's enjoy the process, and uh, we'll cut it loose. You had uh, Trace McSorley's dad as the show stealer when we did this earlier in the show, uh, and you could you could see what he was going through watching the game. I, I mean, I would imagine for Trace too. What Cliff just said: this is your first ever start. It's against Tom Brady. And let's not kid ourselves. The Cardinals should have won that game. They were up by 10 points in the fourth quarter. You should win that game. Tampa isn't good. They aren't. That team is, that team was alarmingly bad. And yet you allowed them to come back. I can't, I can't imagine that. Like if you, if you're in that position and you're like, wow, this, I'm going to win my first start. And you could see it on hard knocks last night, how much it meant to everybody, but specifically, understandably, Trace McSorley and his dad of like, you can first start in your, in your NFL career, you're going to beat Tom Brady on Christmas. Yeah, especially with the way the game unfolded, right? They're up 16-6 yeah. at one point. Was that what it was? was so in the fourth quarter. In that kind of situation, when you hear that kind of cut and you think about McSorley, you're like, okay, like just find a way so he can settle into this game. Like It might be shaky at first, nerves and all that, expectedly so. But once you allow him the opportunity to kind of settle in and, and get into this game, like you're, you should be in a good position. And that's exactly where they were. Because you were, I think you're worried about this type of game. And the same thing that kind of happens with me when Kyler is out. When we were looking at Colts' successful starts last year, what did they do? They took care of the ball and they didn't let the game get away from them. And, and that's exactly what they did in this game. And I, I thought they were in a really good position to win it because they didn't have to chase it. They didn't have to force McSorley to do anything he wasn't comfortable with. But they just couldn't execute when it mattered. Uh, other audio that stood out from uh, from last night, J.J. Watt, and they obviously have him mic'd up on the field, and I would assume he's going to be a big part of these final two episodes. They did mention that uh, they mentioned his retirement during the episode. And I was wondering about that because he announced it on Tuesday morning, and just logistically, it's remarkable that HBO is able to put the show together with a Monday night game and have it turned around for uh, for Wednesday night. But they did mention that Watt is retiring. This was Watt uh, talking about why he got into football with Michael Dogby. This was before the game, like a couple days before the game. So, again, none of his teammates knew he was retiring. But now knowing what you know, at least for me, watching this, it took on a whole lot of different meaning. Is that the vision before you got to my college? When I was growing up, I literally thought my high school quarterback was the coolest dude on the planet. And so, like, I wanted to be a high school varsity football player. Play football behind the bleachers during the varsity game, trying to pretend to be like them, you know? Like, just playing pickup football. Just trying to be like them. 
and then there were college dudes that I looked up to. I mean, the Badgers were like the coolest things in the world. And then obviously once I got there, then I then it became the pros. Yeah, but I mean, I always looked up to like Reggie Reggie White. I mean, the Packers. You grew up in Wisconsin, you know. It's like a blood right. You have to be a Packers fan growing up. So yeah, yeah. No, he. So people live, I mean, literally dream about it. Kids would kill for it. Adults, you know, this is the best job in the world, man. Cut to the a scene of of JJ Watts, varsity high school quarterback, who he thought was the coolest guy in the world, being like, "Hey, look at me." Do we have a name? Have we figured out who it was yet? I would assume Aaron Rodgers. No, I don't. <laughs> really, I don't. I don't have an answer for can we it. Stop talking about Rodgers and Brady, please. We, we can't even have them on the show. Sheet, Let's please. see. Please. Is there? Stop. Is there? It cuts about Brady. Yeah, here. Since you brought up Brady, no, I won't do that to you. Uh, this was Cliff's post game speech after the loss to Tampa. If you haven't watched it last night, and I get it. If you're a Cardinals fan, you may have a little Cardinals fatigue right now with the way the season has gone, and this doesn't change anything. But as much as close as we are covering this team. You know, anybody that's watching them can tell that they haven't quit on this season, even though the season has quit on them. But uh, the post game scene—I don't know about you, Kellen, but I was—I was—it was a little like jarring to just see how like broken up they were after that loss last night. It was just kind of like whoa, like there was this not awkward silence, but just like heavy silence, and everybody just kind of staring at each other in the locker room. They care, man. They care to say the least. Like you can look at the way that they play and see some effort waning at times and wonder if, if everyone cares, sure, but you just see the way that this is cumulatively kind of worn down on them over the course of the year, and we've talked a lot about how you can just see it from Cliff physically, but then us kind of getting the the shots of him throughout the game. Like, they cut to him every now and then, or they show him, like, reacting every now and then on the game coverage itself when we're watching the game, but during this these Hard Knocks games, they cut to him about a dozen, 15 times a game, and most of the time it just seems like he's going through a crisis. Like, it's just awful for him, and, and they, you can see it, just how much they want to, they want to just win, you know? They just want to win one, one or two. They wanted to, yeah, well, like, we don't care the playoffs are over, but we want to win these. Our season's not over, and we've phrased that a million times on here. Like, the Cardinal season is over. It's not it's not over for them games. in that kind of regard. They yeah. still have games, and they want to win them. It, I, I think to, like, the teams, like, what was Detroit went 0-16? Cleveland had a stretch where they went, like, 1-15 and and 0-16. I, I mean, I wasn't around those teams. I can only imagine how much that weighed on them. When you are, like, 0-14 and, and there's two games left, and you're like, you know, do you want to go down in history with how bad you were? Because Cliff doing this post-game speech, all I could think as he was giving it was, like, there's not anything left to say at this point. And the other thing I, I kept thinking, I guess the other all I could think, was like a year ago at this time they were heading to the playoffs. Like, could you ever think you were going to drop this quickly if you are Cliff Kingsbury or this team? Proud of the effort, right? Fought your ass off, battled your ass off. They got a good defense. Obviously, you got one of the best players ever. But week in, week out, y'all bring it, man. We just got to find a way at the end. Got to find a way at the end. Y'all keep fighting together, stick together. And we're going to find a way to win one of these. Y'all got me? I mean, y'all play your ass off, like, out there. Like, tooth and nail, scratch and clawing. It just hasn't turned at the end for whatever reason. But I know as coaches, we can be proud of how hard you play, 
how you play to win each and every week, regardless of what's set outside of here, all the noise, whatever. You show up, you work, you play your ass off. So I couldn't be proud of the effort. We just got to find a way to win one. What that clip doesn't show was like the 30 seconds of just like weird silence before he said anything. Do you have the hop cut in there from earlier? When, uh, when he's talking Connor. to James Conner, yeah. I have it right here. You think about the way that JJ and DeAndre, both the situations that they came from in Houston and where they came now, they were joining a program and, and a team that was on the rise and on to bigger and far better things. And they were looking at it like, sure, maybe it'll take a year or two. But with this young franchise quarterback who is going to be a top five guy in in the league very soon here, we're looking at this like, yeah, we're going to have a couple cracks of winning this thing. And so you look at how this situation has unfolded for those two specifically. J.J. is going to retire. And then you hear DeAndre Hopkins say that. And I'm thinking, like, well, why would he say that? Well, he does not. He wants to go compete for the big. and, and, And if the Cardinals are not going to allow him the opportunity to compete for that, then of course you would want to potentially look elsewhere. And that's not, we can't just read into five seconds of that, but you just start to think of, well, why would he be thinking of what could change in the next year? It would be, well, he wants to compete for a championship, just like anyone else would, especially when DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers of his, one of the best offensive players of his generation, Mm -hmm. and he's not going to be able to compete for a Super Bowl once. Like That just doesn't make sense to me for a guy like him at all. Yeah. So, of course, he would want to potentially look elsewhere, and that's what I kind of think about with this group as a whole. Do you think he's going to be on the team next year? I find myself leaning more and more like he's not. Uh, and, and that's not obviously a report or anything, but I just everything you just said, and we don't know how much the front office is going to change, and, and I hope that if they if they do change it, they don't come in and be like, well, you know, rebuilds could take up to five years. Like, no, in the NFL, you should be able to turn it around in like a year. We've seen it happen. But if I'm a player, and I'm a player that's as good as DeAndre Hopkins in is in the situation that you just described, I'm not sure I'm going to want to wait around. And if I'm the Cardinals, I might look at D-Hop. We might figure this out like, you know what? To help you out and to help us out, if we could find a way to trade you and get some pieces back, maybe that's the best thing for everybody involved. I say that hating it as I say it, Kellen, because he's one of my favorite Cardinals to watch week in and week out. It's him and Buda Baker. And the third one would be J.J. Watt, and he already retired this week. He's played in six playoff games in his career, DeAndre Hopkins. Yes, I don't think it's going to end at that number, and I'm not sure if he's going to get that number up with Arizona or somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, All right. No, this will cheer you up. Next uh, segment, we're getting back into ASU U of A basketball. Combined 23-3 and records so far this season between the two schools, and they meet on Saturday. So what exactly are the stakes as we really dive into Pac-12 play? That's next. It's Wolf and Luke Kellen Olsen in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Like the showdown music we have coming back from break, because obviously Kellen and I are going to fight each other this segment. Kellen having gone to U of A, me having gone to ASU. And the 
showdown that's coming up on Saturday between these two teams, which carries a little more weight. Like this, this game always carries the rivalry weight, but when you have two teams with a combined twenty-three and three record, Kellen, I would argue, and I know you would argue because I watched you do it in the pre-show meeting, that this game has a lot more meaning than just a typical ASU U of A matchup. Yeah, well, first of all, the Suns have had an underwhelming season. The Cardinals have to say the least. We're looking at Arizona sports. Woe is me. It's terrible around here for Arizona sports. There's two really good college basketball teams here, and they're going to play each other for the first time. Somebody the biggest, has to win. The biggest rivalry game in the state. We look across rivalries for the Suns, and yeah, we talk about the Lakers. The Pelicans one came up this year, too. The Cardinals have rivalries, I guess, sort of, but this is the legit rivalry in this state, and it comes at a time in basketball when both programs are in a really big upswing. Arizona State, I would argue right now that they're I don't know if they're the best Bobby Hurley team because that Bobby Hurley team that started 12-0, and number three in the country and everything before they lost to Arizona. Whoops, we did that. Sorry. <laughs> That's um, funny. They, I'm convinced, by the way, and have long been convinced. I know this isn't true, but I'm, maybe I am convinced uh, that that was the game when DA was on U of A that year. Everybody's like, well, we got to draft him number one overall. Look what he did to ASU. Like, yeah. okay, what did he do against Buffalo? Anyway, sorry to bring that up. If you mention Frank Kaminsky, I will jump this table. I'll, I'll do it. I, I really will. I w- I, not only do I want to mention him, I wish he was our next guest and he was walking through that door. I think the best ASU team under Bobby Hurley, though, was probably the one that didn't get to go to the tournament yeah. in 2019-20 because of COVID. So that that's the team that, for me, was really good because they, they just played together and were, were just... I've just not seen a team play like that, except for maybe this team. Well, I think I, I, think I, I, I go... That. I go with this team because I can clearly see what the identity for them is, which is defense. And if you're a casual fan, you, you haven't watched Arizona State play this year, you haven't watched Arizona play this year, but you're going to tune in for the rivalry game and you kind of need to know the ABCs of it. It's, it's could not be more simple. Arizona State is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Arizona is probably the best offensive team in the country, and we're just going to kind of see the battle of styles here. I mean, this is a team, Arizona State shots around the rim. They allow teams to only shoot 45.6% around there. That is the best mark in the entire country and then on the other end Arizona has a top five mark of shooting 70.9% that's a 40 a 25% difference excuse me on just the efficiency that they shoot at the rim Arizona and that Arizona State allows Arizona State doesn't really play at a high pace Arizona only wants to play at a high pace and it's just two teams that have a clear identity and a style of play that they want to see and we're just going to see which one dictates the other I mean we see this in football all the time we see the great defense against the the great offense are we going to see a shootout are we going to see a 9-6 game this is kind of that not kind of. This is exactly that type of thing in a basketball sense. I'm really excited to see which style prevails, honestly, more than the teams. Nah, I'm lying. I want to see Arizona win. But. I, yeah, I was going to say that. It's felt dishonest. I have a series of questions here on this piece of paper. I'm going to ask you rapid fire, Go. okay? Do you fill out a bracket when we do March Madness pools? Sometimes. Yeah, see, this is the thing people you people would think, like, Kellen, oh, he follows basketball so closely, he must be in, like, 19 fantasy basketball what I do, He's in zero. What I them. do in March Madness pools is find the weird team, like Abilene Christian, who plays the style. Abilene Christian was, like, pressing and doing all these zones and pressure defense, like, recovering, like, maniacs. And I was like, <laughs> you are my tracks. team now. Yeah, this, yeah this, that's this what I do. Tracks. I don't fill out a bracket. Okay, well, if you were filling out a bracket like the rest of us, this year's U of A team, how far, like, are you, would you pick them to win? You, they're, they're, let, they're, me, let me set it this way. You are pretty reasonable when it comes to U of A. Mm-hmm. Like, I have fan, uh, friends that are U of A fans, and there's ASU fans like this too. I'm not trying to paint one score or the other. That are just like, no matter what, my school is perfect and they always win all the time. And they, if they didn't win, they should have won and it got stolen from them. And then you also have Jared Carlin walking around here who loves U of A and expects them to lose every single game every year. Yeah. There is, uh, there is a chance that this is better than last year's team. And last year's team was without a doubt the 
best team in the country and should have won a national championship, but then Azulis Tubelis turned into like one of the worst players I've ever seen all of a sudden, and then most of their team battled with inexperience uh, over the course of the season. And by battled, I meant they went into hostile road environments and kept winning, and we were like, oh, this inexperience that they have, it doesn't matter. And then we got to March, and I was like, well, actually, it, it did matter it did a matter. lot, and, and it didn't really translate, but this team has that more experience, and it's just, I don't want to say more well-rounded, but you look at this team, they lost three NBA draft picks, they lost Dalen Taylor, they lost Benedict Matherin, who looks like the next coming of Dwayne Wade right now in the NBA, and then Christian Coloco is on the Raptors, but they've replaced those guys well, and mainly how they've done it is through Balo, through Tubelis, and there's this phrase in esports that we should use more in regular sports, and it's called the win condition, and basically it's like, I need a win condition when you play Arizona because Arizona is so dominant in a couple of areas that you need size. Arizona State has Warren Washington at center. He's the guy you're going to see help with that percentage that is so low around the rim. They have size with him, but you have two guys with size who can guard Umar Balo and Azulis Tubelis. Umar Balo shooting 74% from the rim. He is more or less Pac-12 Shaq. He is not the second coming of Shaquille O'Neal, but I'm saying if there was a Pac-12 version of Shaquille O'Neal in conference play, it would be Umar Ball this year. He's an absolute monster. And then Azulis Tubelis is averaging 20 points per game, fourth among Power 5 players. He's a legitimately sized Power 4. He's 6'10", and he can move really well. Do you have two bigs that can hang with him? Arizona State, I'm not sure if they do necessarily, but do you take care of the ball? That's where I bring back Eric Botang, or is that not allowed? You are not allowed to do that. That's fine. I don't want you to. need to be able to take care of the ball against this team. Arizona State has seven games this year with at least 15 turnovers. If you give this team Kirk Creesa off of makes, off of misses, he is sprinting the ball up the court. And then when he starts to look tired a bit, he gets insulted by his body telling him that it's time to be tired. And he's like, no, I'm going to go even faster. And then he just keeps running the ball up and down the floor. He's my favorite basketball player in the world to watch right now. He's an absolute maniac. He'll, he's going to blow a bunch of kisses. If you want to go to the t- game on Saturday, Kirk Creesa might blow you a kiss. Just watch out where you're, where you're sitting. Makes me not want to go. He, he is he is going to be there, and he is going to wink at you, and he's going to do all this kinds of stuff that Arizona State fans hate. Makes and I personally love about him, but he's going to get that ball going up and down the court. You got to limit the amount of opportunities that he has with this. So turning the ball over there is a big key. But I think that the main thing is you have to have firepower, and I think Arizona State does. They haven't been shooting the ball that well from a three point look. But if you look at their options offensively, they have DJ Horn, they have the Cambridge brothers, um, and they, and they have uh, the kid Collins at point guard as well. Because this is an Arizona team where if they get those two bigs rolling and then Courtney Ramey, who's shooting 45% from three this year, starts to knock down some shots. Seth Henderson gets involved a little bit off the bench where he's shooting 41% from three. We mentioned Creesa. We haven't mentioned Pella Larson, who's a really good player as well. They just have five or six elite players right now. So if they get two or three of those guys rolling in a game, you are in a horrible position in the game because it's just a really elite team up and down. I wasn't done asking my questions. I still have this sheet of questions. Now I have to add another one to it. This is a sidebar. This pains me to say this, but Benedict Matherin is very good and has been really good since day one in the NBA. Why isn't Indiana better with the players they keep adding? Like anytime there's a good, decent player, maybe that player starts to take off. You're like, hey, Tyrese Halliburton, where did he go? Oh, he's in Indiana. Why is Indiana just mediocre in the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff race? Because their best players are... are are inexperienced. That, that's all it is. They've they've got a rookie point guard, a rookie guard who is one of the best rookies, and I would argue that he's rookie of the year right now. I know Ooh. Paolo Bancaro is having a huge oh. year, <laughs> but I will be the biased 
U of A guy and argue that. Tyrese Halliburton is an all-star this year, and you know what? He might be a t- uh, an all-star starter, but the problem is the veteran pieces around that and how they're learning to win with those two guys, but they're better than, than expected, Luke. It's not just an elite turn when you get a couple of young, dynamic, I mean, if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder and you have Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant with Serge Ibaka and a couple of other guys, yeah, then you can do it, but we're not talking about those types of talents, and it, it'll take a while, but they're a team to watch for a couple of years. Yeah, I'm not allowed to bring up Ty- Tyrese Halliburton on the show anymore when Wolf's here, but since he's not here, and you are, um, the night that the Suns didn't draft him, this is how it went, okay? And I, I don't profess, I watch a lot of basketball, mm-hmm. but I don't profess to know it on the level that Kellen does. So this is what draft night was like that year. I'm watching out there in the newsroom, like, we're about to come in here and do the show, right? And Vince was in here doing a show. And I'm like, wow, Tyrese Halliburton's like slipping. He's like there at eight. He's there at nine. The Suns could take him at 10. And then they didn't. And so I talked to Vince and I was like, uh, Vince, can you like convince me that that wasn't a mistake to pass on Halliburton? And he could not. And so then you and I did the show. I think John Bloom did the show with us too. And I was like, Kellen, surely you can convince me that that wasn't a mistake to pass on Halliburton. Can you now, and you, you could not. In fact, you were angrier than I was. Can you now tell me something that makes me feel better about them not having Tyrese Halliburton? Uh, so Arizona, like internally, just like as a program <laughs> right now, I think that they're really moving in the right direction. Will you allow me the gambo uh, courtesy and take a lunch bet here with me where I get Arizona, the far better team, and I have far better odds to win this lunch bet and you take Arizona State? Where's your pride as a Sun Devil? Okay, but there, there needs to be some sort of odds where you get like a bad sandwich if you win. Or I get to like, I get to pick the toppings on your sandwich. So like, I'll buy you the sandwich, but I should be getting like some sort of odds of like, you have to have olives on there if you hate them. You get dollar menu sandwiches and I get like some nice, like $13 sandwich somewhere. Like you have to buy that for me if ASU wins. I'm saying if I win the bet, you just get us like garbage food basically okay. that's like going to cost you $6 total between the two okay. of us. But if I win, if you win the bet, then I get us something nice. Like yeah. we're, we're coming like in like here. One with of those steakhouses, like, like some lobster. Don't start thinking about it. It's not going to happen. Okay. Just don't right, start fine. to build your hopes no, up or whatever. Don't do that. Speaking of building my hopes up, sure, I'll take ASU in that be way. S- be smart. I mean, okay, see you when I fill in next in four months or whenever. <laughs> we'll remember this. <laughs> totally. By then they'll have played at least one more time. Um, my final question for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually know this answer with you because you love basketball too much. When U of A, it hasn't happened, but let's just play this out. Let's say U of A were eliminated from the tournament, like March Madness, not the Pac-12, but March Madness, but ASU was still going. Would you be actively rooting against them? No. I'm not that type of fan, and I think the majority of people listening are that type of fan, yes. just judging by how I just tweet about Jaden Delora and have people like verbally insult me over Twitter because I'm just tweeting about Jaden Delora. I, I I root for ASU to be a successful program in both sports just so we can get this rivalry going even more. It's a rivalry that means a lot to a lot of people. Sure, it does, but we have not yet had this rivalry in either sport be at the point where both programs are headed in the right direction for Arizona. It's been more work to do in football for Arizona state. It's been more work to do in basketball. We, we can't just have no, no offense to college baseball, but baseball be the one where both programs are thriving at the right times a, a couple of times here. Like it hasn't happened in either. So for Arizona state to start to get it going in the early ages of the Bobby Hurley era, and hopefully now in the, in the later ends, it's going to keep going. Cause Tommy Lloyd is like Arizona. <sighs> the next decade plus is looking nice for me. I feel fantastic. No, right, about it. Arizona's going to be a top 10 team in the country it, until I, until March ceasing oh. to exist. Uh, that guy's good at his job. All right. Do the uh, Suns regret letting Devin Booker even play on Christmas? You're going to hear what their GM James Jones had to say. That's next. It's Wolf and Luke Kellen Olson in for Wolf and Arizona sports, the local sports leader.